All right. Uh, well, it's good to see uh, so many of you. Good to see old and new faces. Uh, it's good to be back here on the pulpit. I uh, haven't been, uh, I've felt a little rusty prepping the sermon. I haven't not preached for four straight weeks before, and so uh, please uh, be patient with me today. Um, so great, uh, especially if you're visiting citizens for the first time, we want to welcome you. We know Sundays uh, can be a little bit overwhelming, but would love to get to know you better, help you get plugged into the church. And so there's an information table outside uh, where there's coffee. Um, feel free to ask any of our volunteers if you have any questions about the church. And usually I'm walking around around there after service, and we have staff walking around as well. If you have any questions as well, would love to uh, get to know you, help you get plugged in. Uh, today, I'm really excited because uh, we are not only launching a new sermon series at our church uh, in the whole, about the Holy Spirit, but we're actually going to be launching a year-long focus we are committing to as a congregation uh, on discovering what it means to live a Spirit-filled life, cultivating the kind of life that moves beyond just acquiring knowledge about God or doing things for God to being with God and allowing God to permeate every aspect of who we are. You know, I talk to a lot of people um, at our church who tell me that, um, you know, I grew up in the church, I consider myself a Christian, but um, God for the most part is still like an abstract concept to me. You know, he has no like visible impact on my life outwardly. I think I do a lot of Christian-like activities. You know, I go to church on Sundays. I'm in a small group. I maybe serve sometimes, but really I feel kind of spiritually dead on the inside. Every day I wake up, I'm just trying to survive, just trying to get through the day. I don't know who I am. I don't know what my purpose in life is, where I'm headed. I'm just kind of trucking along, living life, doing the things I have to do, um, checking things off to, to do to the to-do list, and there's nothing about my life that is truly different because I'm a Christian. And I believe when God looks at this, it breaks his heart because I believe this is not the life God intended for us, nor is it the life God desires us to live. A spirit-filled life is a life of vision. It's a life of intention. It's a life of purpose. It's a life when we wake up every morning and we know exactly who we are and to whom we belong. A spirit-filled life is one marked by a transcendent peace and calm in a world full of so much chaos. It's a life that's rooted and secure, where we're not just surviving, but we're thriving. Not, and I don't mean that in a material sense, but in a spiritual sense, right, where, where God is not just a concept, but we, no matter what our circumstances are, we have this unshakable joy that grounds us. Wouldn't we all love a life like that? And so that's going to be our focus as a church this entire year. Uh, all of our sermon series, all of our community, group, community groups, courses, initiatives, they're all going to revolve around this theme of a spirit-filled life. And, and we can't talk about what a spirit-filled life looks like unless we first talk about the Holy Spirit. Okay, and I think the Holy Spirit is probably the most misunderstood, most polarizing member of the Trinity. Okay, now if you're new to Christianity and you have no idea what I'm talking about when I say the word Trinity, that's okay. Um, I think even those of us who've grown up in the church don't fully understand the doctrine of the Trinity. So let me unpack this a bit. And just a warning, uh, this is going to probably make your head hurt a little bit. Um, but as Christians, 
we believe that God exists as one God in three distinct co-equal, co-eternal persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. At the end of every service, you hear me give, give a benediction, which comes from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 13, when I say, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of our Heavenly Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not um, calling on the name of three different gods. It's one God in three persons, Father, Son, and spirit. In Matthew 28, when Jesus sends his disciples into the world, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name, singular, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God in three persons, not three roles, not three modes, not three forms, three persons. And throughout the centuries, human beings have tried to kind of like put human metaphors to try to explain the trinity and they all kind of fall short you know i've heard the trinity be described as like an egg you know one egg that consists of like the yolk the whites and the shell okay that doesn't really work because um all of those things by themselves are not the egg okay um and yet god is fully god god the father fully god god the son fully god god the spirit fully God. They're not parts to a whole. Some people have described the Trinity like water, right? Like water come, you can have water in different forms, like liquid, ice, and steam. But that doesn't really work because the moment water is liquid, it can't be ice and it can't be steam. And yet Father, Son, and Spirit have all existed together since the very beginning. Okay, so in summary, the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father, okay? It's one of those, like, riddles, okay? And if it makes your head hurt, that's okay, okay? And anyone who says they understand the doctrine of the Trinity, they're lying, okay? Because I don't understand the doctrine of the Trinity, um, but it's one of those things that um, are a mystery, and it makes sense because if God is um, who we believe God to be, then there are going to be things about God that we don't understand, you know, um, theology really is our imperfect, feeble human attempts to kind of make sense of who God is that is revealed to us through his word. You know, and if God truly is holy and transcendent and otherworldly, uh, we're just not going to be able to wrap our minds uh, and, and fathom with our limited imaginations and language everything he reveals to us about himself. Like, I don't even know everything there is to know about my wife okay, let alone about uh, our perfect creator who is the creator of the cosmos, okay? It doesn't make any, anything less true, but it means that all we can know about God is that which he has revealed to us about himself in his word. Now, full disclaimer, I know that many of you who are joining us or maybe new to Christianity um, do not believe that everything in the Bible is true, and the disclaimer is this, that everything we teach at our church assumes the truthfulness and authority of the whole Bible, of everything in this book, okay? And, and so again, I know not everyone believes that, but I do want to acknowledge that that is always going to be our starting point as a church, okay? So if that's true then, then the next question is, where does the word Trinity or the doctrine of the Trinity occur in the Bible? Well, it doesn't. Like, there isn't, like, one verse that literally states there is one God in three persons. So, again, the Bible is not, like, a whole bunch of doctrinal statements. It's, like, a messy uh, uh, 
combination convergence of all these different human writers who have who uh, inspired by God making sense of God and so again uh, a lot of what we believe about the Trinity is because we believe the reality of the Trinity is littered throughout the entire Bible Deuteronomy 6 4 says hero is Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one Okay, so one God. We see other verses that speak to God's oneness. Isaiah 44, 6. I am the first and the last. Beside me, there is no other God. Okay, one God. And yet at the same time, from the very first pages of Scripture to the last, we also see a plurality of persons, right? We read in Genesis 1, 26, then God said, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness. In John 10, Jesus is talking about himself first as distinct from the Father when he says things like, the works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but then in the very same passage says, I and the Father are one. In Acts 5, there's this famous story of Ananias and Sapphira who kind of stole money from the church and lied about it. And when they were caught, Peter says, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And then a few verses later, Peter says, you've not lied to man, but to God, equating the Holy Spirit to God. And so on one hand, you get all these verses that talk about God's oneness, and then you get all these verses that speak to the plurality of persons contained within the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. And there's so much more um, I could say about this, but I'm going to leave it there. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to teach a class where we go a lot deeper in that, but I do want to say that. And I mentioned this not just because the Trinity is one of the most essential doctrines on which our entire faith, on which Christianity hinges, but also because um, I think often we don't necessarily see the Father, Son, and Spirit as one. Right? Even those of us who say we ascribe to this doctrine, I think a lot of times we kind of separate the Father and Son, put them on one side, and we put the Holy Spirit on the other. And depending on what theological camp you find yourself in, you either are going to give all your attention to the Father and Son or all your attention to the Holy Spirit. And, and I grew up in kind of a more charismatic church, and so we talked a, a lot about the Holy Spirit in the context that I grew up. But uh, later on in life, um, in my college years, um, kind of when it, where I started my seminary education and where I, where I even feel like citizens is as a church today, I would say we most likely neglect the Holy Spirit, okay? I, I would say, you know, like, and I think, like, it's very rare at our church to hear, like, any of our leaders uh, address the Holy Spirit when they pray, right? You'll hear, Dear Heavenly Father. You'll hear, Lord Jesus. It's very rare that you'll hear someone pray, Dear Holy Spirit. You know, it's kind of an interesting thing. And, and I think there are a couple kind of reasons for that, but, which I'll explain. But, you know, I was having a conversation with our worship director, Jane, who said the Holy Spirit at our church is kind of like Bruno in the movie Encanto, right? We don't talk about Bruno, right? Um, he's like this strange mystical figure who's shrouded in darkness. And, you know, we have all these assumptions about him. But, um, you know, even though when you meet him, you realize Bruno's just misunderstood and he's just sorely neglected. And, and, and I think it makes sense why so many churches don't like talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, I would say one is that we have a framework to talk about the Father and the Son, right? We have earthly fathers 
Uh, we, we know examples of sons, right? So even when I'm explaining God to my kids, it's easy, easy to say God is like a father and Jesus is the Son of God. It's easy to talk about God in that way. In the King James Version of the Bible, the Holy Spirit isn't even the Holy Spirit. He's known as the Holy Ghost. Okay, so try to explain to a five-year-old that God is a ghost. Okay, it, it's, really, it's really difficult, right? So I think, I think one is just we don't really have the language to talk about the Holy Spirit. Um, but the second reason I think churches don't like talking about the Holy Spirit is that we usually associate the Holy Spirit with weird things. Okay, I remember growing up, uh, I would watch these revivals uh, broadcast on TBN. I don't know if you remember TBN, um, but where you would see kind of people shaking uncontrollably, falling over, screaming at the top of their lungs, basically Coachella, you know, and I mean, like everything would be attributed to the Holy Spirit, right? Um, you know, I remember watching... Um, pastors like hadoukening people in the Holy Spirit, you know, they would be like, the Holy Spirit's coming on this side, and everyone would fall over on the left side, and then hadouken people on the right side, everyone would fall over there. Um, I remember when I was in Philly, um, my mother-in-law invited this pastor uh, to come to um, I, I opened a business, and I opened, uh, it was like a, a learning center, and my mother-in-law invited this pastor to come pray uh, for the business, okay? In Korean custom, you know, you kind of ask a pastor to come, like, bless your home, bless your business. So he comes in, and he's like, I'm going to pray for you. I was like, great. And he takes me into this room, one of the classrooms in our academy, and he says, oh, why don't you sit on this chair, um, close your eyes, but I'm going to need you to take off your glasses, right? And uh, I was like, why do I need to take off my glasses? You know, you're going to pray for me. And he says, just take off your glasses. So I, I take off my glasses, and so I don't know, and I hear him pacing behind me. And he starts to breathe really heavily, okay? And he's like, you know, in Korean, he's like, mm, the Holy Spirit is here. Oh, man, the Holy Spirit is here, right? And I'm, I have no idea what's going on, and I'm not even lying. He then slapped me uh, with all his force, he slapped the back of my head. I literally screamed, okay? Uh, fell off the chair, and he's like, he's praying to me, praying to the Holy Spirit to, to come bless this academy. I just want this guy to leave. Um, and, and that image, like anytime someone talks about the Holy Spirit, that image is like, like burned into my mind, okay? And I know that a lot of us um, grew up in churches where this kind of thing was the norm. Uh, we've seen it, we've heard about it, and so we just naturally associate uh, anything strange that happens in the church to the work of the Holy Spirit. And so you begin to get these caricatures of camps in Christianity. On one side, you get the really kind of uptight, um, like, you know, Bible thumpers who are all about the Word of God and doctrine, right, but who are spiritually dead. And then on the other side, you get kind of this caricature of people who are like emotionally so in tune. They have, they're all about emotional experiences and spiritual gifts, but they're not grounded in God's Word. But when you actually read the Scriptures, the two were never meant to be separated. It was always supposed to be spirit and truth. In John 4, 24, Jesus says, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. 
It's the Spirit that makes the Word of God come alive for us, and it's the Word of God that is constantly showing us how the Spirit works in our lives. And so we want to do both in this series. On one hand, each week we want to kind of unpack God's Word to help us demystify the Holy Spirit a little bit, to help us understand who the Holy Spirit is, what He does, and why it matters for us. But we don't just want to treat the Holy Spirit as a subject to be studied, but more so as a reality to be experienced. We want to be transformed by the Spirit. And so I know, uh, depending on which side kind of you err toward, um, I hope there's something in this series um, for all of us. And, and to be honest, as I've been praying about this series, thinking about this series, I don't know what to expect. Because with the Holy Spirit, you never know what to expect. Okay, I know some of my more charismatic brothers and sisters in the room are like, oh yeah, here we go. We might start clapping at citizens, right? And, and you know, I, I, to be honest, I don't know. I don't know what's going to come out of this series, okay? But my, my hope is that at the end of the day, all of us will at least begin to understand a little bit why Jesus himself told his disciples in John 16 that it was to their advantage that he go away if his departure meant that the Spirit would come. Isn't that interesting? Jesus is saying goodbye to his disciples. He's about to get arrested and crucified. He's telling them he's going to die. And then he says, but it's for your good that I go away, because unless I go away, the advocate, the paraclete, okay, he's referring to the Holy Spirit, will not come. And we're going to unpack that more in the coming weeks, but I want you to think about what Jesus is saying here. He's telling his disciples, who's his best friends, who have spent the last three years with him, who have spent every waking moment with him. They've watched him heal the sick, raise the dead, uh, feed the 5,000, do the impossible. He's telling them there's, that there's actually something better than having him beside them, that it's having the Holy Spirit inside them. All right, let me ask you a question. If you had to choose between Jesus living with you, like literally in the flesh, and the Spirit living inside you, which would you choose? And if that question was posed to me, I, I'd be honest, I think I would choose Jesus with me. Okay, I mean, I would, sometimes I would love. Sometimes I'm like, I wish Jesus, Jesus was sitting here with me. I have so many questions you know, uh, about everything going on right now. I would want to know who he would vote for, okay? I have so many questions. He probably would never answer my questions straight, right? But I have so many questions. I would love to have Jesus with me, that if one of my family members or one of my loved ones gets sick, that I could say, Jesus, please heal this person. I would love for Jesus to revise my sermons every week, you know, in fact, I would love for Jesus to just guest preach for us every week. And yet, Jesus himself says, the Spirit's presence in you is better than my presence with you. Think about that. That you and I, sitting here in this auditorium, with the Spirit in us, have access to more power, more love, more hope than if Jesus himself was sitting here as a member of our community. How can we not know, want to know who the Holy Spirit is? How can we not want to experience his presence in our lives? And so today is going to be kind of more of an introductory 
sermon to this series, but I just want to say three brief things about who the Holy Spirit is, okay? Three quick points. Number one, the Holy Spirit is a person, okay? Seems simple, but it's something that I think many of us have not grasped. I think most of us might uh, agree that the Holy Spirit is God, but I think we often forget that the Holy Spirit is a person. And we know this because the Holy Spirit, for some reason, is the one member of the Trinity who always gets referred to as it. As if the Holy Spirit is like an energy or a force or like a power surge, right? We often refer to the Holy Spirit as it. And yet, notice how Jesus describes the Holy Spirit in John 14, 16 to 17. This is what he says. Again, I'm going to kind of uh, go through various scriptures today, so um, I think they're all going to be on the screen so you can follow along. But Jesus says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Jesus refers to the Spirit not as an it, but as a he. Okay? Doesn't mean the Holy Spirit is male. Just so we're clear, God is neither male nor female. This is why in Genesis 1.27, it says, so God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So he created both male and female together to image him right? And so um, to reflect different aspects of God's character. In fact, the phrase Spirit of God found in the first two lines of Genesis 1 where it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That word spirit is the Hebrew word ruach, which is a feminine word. Okay, and in fact, the word hovering even there, is a Hebrew word that describes a mother bird hovering over her young. Okay, so the way we're introduced to the Holy Spirit is actually in feminine terms. Okay, so God is neither male nor female. I want us to understand that. Um, but God is a person. He is a person who can be known, a person who speaks, who teaches, who gives, who guides, who can be lied to, who can be grieved, which we'll also get into in the coming weeks, right? How different would our experience of the Holy Spirit be if we knew that the Spirit had emotions? If we knew that the Spirit gets angry, that the Spirit burns with anger when he sees injustice, when he sees someone created in his image being treated as less than, when he sees his children fighting, nothing angers parents more than watching their kids fight. What if we knew that the Spirit gets angry with us? What if we knew that the Spirit weeps with us, that his heart breaks for us when we experience loss and loneliness? Because if we do not understand, first and foremost, that the Holy Spirit is a person, then the Holy Spirit is always just going to be some abstract power that we can try to access when we need it, but it doesn't mean we can have a relationship with him. But knowing the Holy Spirit is a person means just like we would get to know our friends, our spouse, just like we would get to know the members in our community, we can get to know the Holy Spirit. And the way we do that is by spending time with him, by talking to him, by asking him what makes him tick, 
and what brings him joy by creating space in our lives to experience him. Okay, so number one, the Holy Spirit is a person. Number two, the Holy Spirit is God's presence. Listen to what we read in Psalm 139. The psalmist says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. And I used to read this psalm as being very comforting. And I think it's meant to be comforting, right? The idea that the Spirit is with us everywhere we go. But at the same time, it's also meant to shake us up a little bit. Because it means that if you invite the Spirit in, He will not leave us alone. His presence is meant to be felt. Okay? You know, I've talked about this a lot before. Um, I'm not a great driver. Okay? Just going to throw that out there. Okay? Um, I've learned to accept this. I used to deny it, but I've learned to accept this after many accidents. Okay? I'm, I'm always the one missing my exits. Um, I'm always getting yelled at. Probably some of you have yelled at me unknowingly uh, on the 110. Um, I'm always the guy driving 60 in the fast lane. Um, and, you know, I, I literally almost got into an accident on the way to church today. Um, and uh, everything changes when my wife is in the car with me, okay? Um, on one hand, there's a part of me that feels more at ease. Because, you know, I'm always, like, listening to music. I have a tendency to, like, that's how I forget the exits. Or, like, you know, when you're having a conversation with me and you're in the passenger seat, I don't know why, I like to, like, look at you in the eye, which scares people, okay? Um, I know that, you know, I just want to see them, you know? I want, I want them to know that, that, I'm, that I'm really listening, okay? But they're always like, you don't have to look at me while you're talking to me, okay? Um, almost died on the way, way to church. But so when my wife is in the car with me, like um, I, I do feel in some sense a little bit more at ease because I know that she's going to be my, nav like she is going to be watching the navigation. Um, she's going to say, exit here, like stop, 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 you know, speed up, get out of this lane. And, and in some sense, like she's going to help me get to my destination at the appointed time. Okay, she's going to direct me accordingly. Um, but when, when my wife is in the car with me, she also makes things really uncomfortable for me, okay? Like, I feel like, I, I just feel like there's this presence, okay, watching over my every move, okay? Uh, I know that I can't listen to my music as loud as I want to when my wife is in the car, okay? Like, uh, you know, I know that, like, she's gonna, every time I make a mistake and she's sitting in the back, I look in the rearview mirror and she's looking at me like, there you go again, right? I, and, and it's just like this sense in which like I understand that her presence is going to be invasive, okay? It's, it's, I'm going to feel it as the driver. And in some sense, when I read Psalm 139, I think you get both sides. I think there is a sense in which you feel more at ease because you know that ultimately the Holy Spirit is going to guide every step it's going to watch over your life, tell you where you need to go, tell you what you're doing wrong. But on the other hand, we should get ready to feel uncomfortable because the Holy Spirit is going to make us do some things that maybe we don't want to do. 
You know, the two metaphors for the Holy Spirit used in the book of Acts to describe the Spirit's work on the early church is that of a violent rushing wind and that of fire. Wind and fire. We just sang about it in one of the songs today. And you know what these two things have in common? You can't control them. You can't tell wind and fire what to do. You can't move them. The wind will blow where it pleases. You can't touch fire and expect not to get burned. Fire and wind do something to us. We cannot experience them. Their presence cannot be there and it not be felt. It always evokes a response from us. And this is what the Spirit does in our lives and what the Spirit desires to do. The Spirit comes in and wants to shake things up. You say you want the Holy Spirit in your life, well, be prepared because if you let the Spirit in, He will not let you stay comfortable. He will not let you continue to hold that grudge against that person. Have you ever noticed that anytime you have a grudge against a person, right, like for some reason that person always just seems to show up in every aspect of your life and you're like, why? Why? It would be much easier if I didn't have to see or talk to this person, but the Holy Spirit doesn't work like that. You invite the Spirit in, get ready, because it's going to be uncomfortable. He will not let us destroy ourselves and our families by not addressing the things that need to be addressed. And that process is often going to hurt. But Jesus says, if you want me to come live in your house, you're going to have to make room for me. You're going to have to know that my presence is going to be felt. You're going to have to throw some things out. You're going to have to rearrange your furniture and reorganize your life to create space for me to dwell with you. A lot of us, I think, say we want a vibrant relationship with God, but I don't know that many of us know what inviting God's presence into our lives really entails. And I think, honestly, a lot of us are scared because we want to be comfortable. We don't want someone else to have a say. And, and what we do have a say in how we make decisions and how we raise our families and who we sleep with and how we engage with those who are difficult to love. And I get it, surrender is hard, but doing it our way in the end is always harder. The Holy Spirit says, let me come live in you and we're gonna have to do some housekeeping it's gonna take time it's gonna be a process it's gonna be hard but if you trust me i will show you how life was meant to be lived okay so number one the holy spirit is a person too the holy spirit is god's presence and final finally the holy spirit is god's promise you know today um, is a baptism sunday we have the privilege of baptizing five children into our covenant community. And as a church, we believe that baptism is a sign that ultimately points to the reality of God's unwavering commitment to his people. That regardless of whether or not we hold up our end of the bargain, whether or not we keep our promises, God's promises are true and unfailing. Reminding us that faith is not something we take a hold of by our own strength, but something we are given as a free gift of God's grace. And contrary to popular belief, baptism is not the culmination of our spiritual journey. It's the beginning. It's the beginning of our story with God. And it's this idea that the work of salvation is not a one-and-done decision. You make a decision and it's over. No, it's a lifelong journey of living in God's presence and becoming like Him. And the Holy Spirit is God's promise. 
that he will complete the work he started. The Holy Spirit is God's promise that no matter what comes our way, he will bring his work to completion. From the very first page of the Bible to the last, we see the Spirit of God showing up in the places we least expect, in the darkest places. If you notice in Genesis 1, verse 2, we read, Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. When there was nothing but darkness, the Spirit of God was there, like a mother bird hovering over her young. And out of that nothingness, the Spirit begins to create, taking something that is impossible and making it possible. That's at the very beginning of the Bible, and then you go all the way to the New Testament, and Luke 1 opens with this image of an angel visiting Mary, saying, you're going to give birth to a son. If you can imagine, this is a teenage girl, how scared she is, how many questions she must have. How can I give birth to a son when I'm a virgin? I have so many questions. How am I going to raise a child? I don't know. Like, what do I do? And the Holy Spirit, it says this, uh, the angel says in response, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. At the beginning of creation, the Spirit of God hovered over the darkness. At the beginning of the new creation, the Spirit of God was overshadowing the desperate, the scared, the fearful. It's the same Spirit in Genesis 1 as we see in Luke 1. And Jesus was not just conceived by the Holy Spirit. We read that it's the Holy Spirit who descends on him like a dove at his baptism. It's the Holy Spirit that sustains Jesus in the wilderness. It's the Holy Spirit who empowers him in his ministry. It's the Holy Spirit who leads Jesus to the cross to atone for our sins. And it's the Holy Spirit who three days later raises Jesus from the dead. Once again, taking that which is impossible and making it possible. But here's the most profound reality of all. Romans 8:11 says, "This same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you." And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you. The implication of this is huge. Let me ask you a question today as we close. Friends, do you find yourself today in a seemingly impossible situation? Do you find yourself today in a season of darkness and void that feels impossible to get out of? Do you find yourself struggling to love someone who feels impossible to love? Ask the Holy Spirit to help you because this is where the Holy Spirit shows up. Matthew 7 says, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. You know, I, I'm so excited for this series because I believe the Spirit is alive and is up to something here at Citizens, and I believe the Spirit is up to something here in L.A. You know, do you know, um, if you were to ask uh, people uh, where the capital of the Holy Spirit movement in the world is, the birthplace of Pentecostalism. Do you know where that is? None other than downtown Los Angeles. 
I didn't know this. None other than downtown Los Angeles. More specifically, Little Tokyo. That is about one minute away from where we are right now. The birthplace of Pentecostalism, the birthplace of the Holy Spirit movement. If you've ever been to Cafe Dulce in Little Tokyo, best coffee in LA, owned by one of our members, James Choi, okay? Um, across the street from Cafe Dulce is where the Azusa Street Revival took place in 1906, over a hundred years ago, that basically gathered crowds from all over the world who came together. They needed to come out of the buildings because there were so many people who gathered crowds from all over the world to cry out to the Holy Spirit for revival. And here we are, a church in downtown Los Angeles, a minute away from where the Azusa Street Revival took place, over a hundred years later, and I believe you and I sitting in these chairs are the fruit of those prayers over a hundred years ago. But here's the crazy thing. I believe the Holy Spirit is still working. The Holy Spirit is still moving, and the Holy Spirit is still doing something that we can't even imagine. And so I believe that as a church, if we would just seek him, that in this moment that seems so dark and full of chaos, I believe that the Holy Spirit will meet us in ways that you and I could never imagine or fathom. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we open ourselves up to you. There's so much we don't know. There's so much we don't understand. But God, we ask that you would open our hearts that we might see you more clearly. God, as a church, as we journey, uh, not only through this series on the Holy Spirit, but as we journey to discover what it looks like to live a Spirit-filled life, I pray, God, that the Holy Spirit would move beyond doctrine. The Holy Spirit would move beyond just something that we study. But the Holy Spirit would truly become a person that we get to know. A person that we grow in our relationship with. A person who we invite into our lives to rearrange the things that need to be rearranged. And Lord, I pray that your presence would be felt in this church and in our city. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for the gift of the Spirit. Help us to depend on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.